Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the Radar to me means authenticity, not being filtered. It's a window in on the local stories that touch our lives. And there's a huge void in the traditional media covering this new faces of Boston. You may not be looking for a particular story, but when you hear about it, you're engaged. Under the radar means ahead of the curve. It's also perspectives. How does this particular story affect a community or a neighborhood? I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, Pop culture tells us fathers are goofy, irresponsible, and sometimes just plain evil. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. I've always said that if my son thinks of me as one of his idiot friends, then I've succeeded as a dad. Four kids. If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. Dad! Dad! I can tell you how every man in this room watches kids. All we do, we sit on the couch and listen. That's how we watch our kids. Kids do whatever they want when they were dead. Hey! Hey! I know y'all not in that toilet! The key to fathering is don't overthink, because overthinking is, um, what were we talking about? Traditionally, fathers are still expected to be the breadwinners, the disciplinarians, and the heads of households. But as families and gender roles evolve, so do the duties of dads. Today, in celebration of Father's Day, what social science research tells us about the changing roles of fatherhood. Later in the show, Juneteenth, how did a day of commemoration in Texas become a nationwide celebration of emancipation? But first, joining me in the studio, Dr. Ray Levy, the founder and executive director of The Fatherhood Project. Dr. Levy is also an assistant clinical professor of psychology at Harvard Medical School and teaches and supervises in the Department of Psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital. Welcome, Dr. Levy. Thank you for having me, Kelly. I'm glad to have you. Also with me, Dr. Michael Yagman, pediatrician of 20 years and assistant clinical professor of pediatrics at Harvard Medical School, where he teaches and does research on the father-child relationship. Hello, Dr. Yagman. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm glad to have you. And also with me, Charles Daniels, the CEO and founder of Fathers Uplift, a Boston-based organization that works to help fathers overcome barriers that prevent them from engaging in their children's lives. Welcome, Charles. Thank you. I'm so excited to have this conversation because I learned so much in uh, just doing the research for it. So let me just go around the horn this way and starting with you, Dr. Levy. What is the Fatherhood Project? We're a, um, a nonprofit within the Department of Psychiatry at Mass General with a mission to uh, improve outcomes, child outcomes, by encouraging fathers to be knowledgeable, active, and emotionally engaged with their children. And we do this through original research and through an array of hands-on programs with fathers or fathers and kids. 
And Charles Daniels, talk about what Father's Uplift is. And I understand it's the first of its kind in the country. Absolutely. Now we're an outpatient clinic to keep fathers engaged in their kids' lives. Our main focus is paternal child health and male engagement. We provide therapeutic services to assist fathers with overcoming any mental barrier as well as external barrier that can prevent them from being engaged in their kids' lives. Dr. Gongman, I was uh, fascinated by the study that uh, you published last year looking at so much of the research that's been done since 2004, which is immense now in changing some of the images that we may have heard in that pop culture clip. What would you say is the number one takeaway that folks need to understand about where fathers are today? So I think the message is clear. Fathers do not parent like mothers nor are they a replacement for mothers when they are not at home. They provide a unique, dynamic, and important contribution to their families and children. They uh, have an enormously important impact on child outcomes, from being play partners to supporting language development, social competence, academic success, decreasing the kind of negative risk behaviors in adolescence. And our society has a long way to go in terms of the kinds of supports we provide for fathers to encourage their involvement, ranging from uh, recognizing the impact of postpartum depression, recognizing the importance of including fathers in parental leave policies, just to name a few examples. Interventions go a long way toward supporting father involvement, and we as a society have a long way to go to acknowledge that importance. Thanks for laying the, uh, the ground uh, for all of us in this discussion. I want to pick up on a number of things. Number one, the unique role that fathers play. I think for a long time, people just thought, well, you're just another parent. But what's come through with this research that all of you have done and the work that you've each done is that the unique role has a actual different response to the child. I'll start with you, Charles. Talk about that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. One thing that we're realizing in our work is that men enter fatherhood with preconceived notions of what their role should entail, um, mainly a financial provider. And that's pretty much it to a certain extent. What we work with in our agency is assisting men with creating their own definition of what a father should be to them. Uh, many of our men are homeless, right? So providing is something they can't necessarily do in terms of financially, but how can you provide emotionally, right? Um, how can you spend time with your child and just be in that moment and engage them in activities around the house or in your room? Uh, one thing that we're realizing in our partnership with the Vital Village Network at Boston Medical Center is that there are free constructive ways that a father could engage his kids without spending money. I think it's important for men to know those things. But one thing that we're realizing is that the overshadowing of the notions of what they should be completely blinds them of what it is that they can do in that moment. So we're in a battle between what society expects them to be and what they want to be. And if they can't meet what society expects them to be, they'd rather be absent. Let me pick up on that and just say, when you work with fathers and get them to the point where they can function emotionally and realize they have this unique role it may be that they themselves are surprised because of what's been said to them by society in so many subtle and non-subtle ways. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. One thing that we realize, our notion at Fathers Uplift is that we, if we can assist a man in understanding how to parent himself, he can parent a child. 
right? If you mm-hmm. can nurture yourself, love yourself, right? We've seen a complete pattern is that the way that a man treats himself would be the same way that he treats his child. For instance, if he's hard on himself or if he's down on himself, he's going to be the same way to his child. So we want to make sure that we can help him be a better parent to himself so he can be there for his child. And I guess once they understand how to parent themselves, they step into fatherhood with mm-hmm. a little bit more less tension, mm-hmm. um, understand that they are the creators of their own futures. Uh, that's my guest, uh, Charles Daniels. He is CEO and founder of Father's Uplift. Now, over to you, Dr. Levy. Let's pick up again on the unique role that fathers play, because that's what you're working on in the father-child relationship in the fatherhood project. And I'm taking from Charles and also from uh, Dr. Yagman that, you know, sometimes fathers are searching, trying to figure out, well, what is my unique role instead of understanding what that may be? Well, we know that fathers play differently with their kids than mothers. Fathers are willing to take more risks, allow their kids to take more risks, and to be a little more physical. And we think that this translates into kids being prepared for new situations, as opposed to play or relationships with uh, their mothers, in which we know that mothers hold their infants in the same way every time they pick them up. Fathers have the kids all over the place. They hold them in all kinds of different ways. And this pattern continues and helps kids get prepared for uh, novel situations in their life so they're not expecting relationships and the world to respond uh, uh, similarly all the time. But one of the things that's happening now, which is exciting, and I personally feel we're in the middle of a revolution in terms of fathers parenting, one of the things that's happening is fathers are learning to be more nurturing. They're not uh, necessarily trying to be mothers, but they are also realizing that understanding the emotions of their child is very important. Being able to read their children and be responsive to their children is good for child development. And in fact, we know in general with attachment theory that child development and brain development occurs in an interpersonal context. So the better the interaction between father and child, the better it is for child's development and for their brain development. So what I think is very important, we we started with that funny pop culture clip about, you know, these stereotypes about fatherhood, are public examples and expressions of fathers. Let's take a listen to one. This is uh, Stephen Curry of the Golden State Warriors talking about his daughter Riley in an NBA video for Father's Day in 2015. Ever since she was born, your life changed immediately joy I have every time I see her. There's no comparison to that feeling. To uh, have a healthy baby that every day she's got something new. Uh, she's got a charisma about her that uh, she's not shy at all. It brings so much personality and spunk to our family, so well, I'm blessed. So I think that's very important, and it also speaks to men, I think, asserting their presence in a way that perhaps hasn't always been the case. And here's what I want to start with you, uh, Dr. Yogman. One of my guests uh, earlier this year talked about household control disease from mothers, what she calls HCD. That's Tiffany Dufu. Her book is called Drop the Ball. And part of her book is about get out of the way and let my husband caretake. And then even though she freaked out about it many times in the book and described it in great detail, he did things differently. She freaked out about it, and she finally realized, oh, He's not supposed to do what I do. Talk about that household control disease and what you call in the study maternal gatekeeping. Yeah, I was going to say, I think maternal gatekeeping is a really important construct because, you know, by and large, if mothers don't give fathers permission to really engage with their kids and provide a roadblock, it's often not going to happen. 
But it is critical that mothers realize that fathers have a unique and important role to play with their babies right from birth, that it's important for the child, and that they can expect and shouldn't expect the father to do things exactly the same way. They need to give permission for that kind of uh, unique relationship that fathers are going to have. I have to And come... when they do, then it, 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 it's better. It's it... better for everybody. Yeah. It's, it's better for the mother. It's better for the child. And I have to comment, I love the Stephen Curry tape, but I think an even more current example, as we've all read, the previous winner of the U.S. Open golf tournament has mm. decided to skip the U.S. Open this year That's so right. he can attend his daughter's graduation. That means that the world has changed. And getting flack from it, too. Some people are don't, are not on board with that. They're well, like, why are you doing that? You know, they so. need to, you know, <laughs> join the current. You know, there's a marvelous bit of graffiti in the Park Square tea station here in Boston that said, dads matter. Oh, there it that. is. So, Charles, I want you to, Charles Daniel of the uh, Fatherhood Project, I want you to weigh in as well on the maternal gatekeeping. One thing that we're seeing in terms of a barrier is that when fathers come into our agency, agency, they come where there's two restraining orders between them and the mother that's being placed on the mother, and also the mother has placed one on the father. That alone keeps the father from being engaged because he can't have any contact with mom. And when we think about maternal gatekeeping, we have to understand the issues that are relevant in the relationship. You know, what's going on between the mother and the father. Oftentimes, particularly in the courts um, in the city of Boston, it's easier to reconcile your differences with mom as opposed to going to the court. So mm -hmm. when we think about maternal gatekeeping and mom's perception of what role that father should play and what that father actually can do when he is not present in the household with that child, right, we have to think about what that is. What is her expectations and what type of barriers are those expectations are setting for that father, right? So we find that to be challenging. We also find it to be a struggle. And to be honest with you, some men are unable to meet the expectations of the women that are in their lives because they're pretty high, especially if there's a financial issue that they're struggling with, if they're just coming out of jail and they have high child support arrearages. We have to think about these things and realis realistically say, okay, is this an expectation that a father could make in his current state? But if we don't know the state that he's in, that's problematic. I'm coming to you, Dr. Levy, but Dr. Yogman wants to jump right in on yeah, that. I want to jump in on the financial issues because I think as well as maternal gatekeeping, I think our legal system is a bit of a negative gatekeeper. We're still stuck in the notion of focusing on deadbeat dads who aren't paying child support. And the problem with that construct is we're shooting ourselves in the foot because fathers want to be involved with their kids. And if our only yardstick of their engagement is paying child support and they're stuck with this requirement and they lose their job and can't meet the full amount of child support, they're restricted from even seeing their kids. Whereas I think if we were wise and we realized that, you know, encourage their engagement with their kids, be flexible about their child support payments, that will help everybody. It'll help them feel more positive about themselves. It'll help their relationship with their kids. And ultimately, it'll improve their uh, job prospects, their income, and their ability in the long term to pay child support. So we've got to move away, and I think we are, from this concept of just focusing on father's role as uh, child support and financial. 
Now, I would be remiss because people will be driving in the car screaming at me if I don't say those are fathers who have expressed and tried to get to those kids and really want to interact with them. There are some deadbeat dads that do deserve the title. I do know because my ex-brother-in-law was one. and He was not at all interested and used that as a wedge issue between he and my sister. So I'm speaking on behalf of those women that I know are in that situation. But we're back to Father's Day now, and I'm back to Dr. Levy, and we're talking about I, maternal I just, gatekeeping. I really want you to get to that, please. I, I want to add to what Dr. Yanni right, said. Uh, I've applied for a grant so that we can study the dads who have arrearages in child support payments can go through a program of fathering educational training, vocational training, and then receive an internship. And if they do well on the internship, they would be hired. And I'm hoping that that will change this process of dads getting out with higher debt, not being able to pay, not being able to get a job, and falling farther and farther behind, and then they're lost to their children. And it's also true, and Dr. Yagman was heading in this direction, that it increases motivation of the dads to make the payments if they have a relationship with their kids. So when they're kept away from their kids, it robs them of one of the primary motivations for making these payments. Oh, I think I think that's absolutely true. I think, and I agree with you on that, and, and uh, I hope that that's something that goes through. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm speaking with Dr. Ray Levy of the Fatherhood Project. You just heard him. And Charles Daniels of Fathers Uplift. Also, um, Dr. Michael Yagman. We're talking about the changing roles of fathers in America and what recent research now lets us know is exactly what's going on as fathers' roles have changed, their presence in their children lives, their motivation for wanting to interact, and most importantly, their unique role in their children's lives. Now, I want to talk about something I did not know before this research, and that had to do with postpartum depression. All of you have addressed that, and I was completely shocked by this. I had no idea that fathers went through this, and of course, this has to have a terrible impact on the relationship between mother, father, family. So I'll start with you, Dr. Yogman. Yeah, I think that we are now finally acknowledging that that fathers experience postpartum depression just as mothers, but manifest it in different ways and in a different time course. So for fathers, it can occur throughout the whole first year of life. We are starting to get some data on the prevalence. It's anywhere between 10 and 25 percent of fathers. And fathers are less likely to present because of stigma with sadness and the typical signs of depression, but they're more likely to present with externalizing uh, symptoms, with substance abuse, potentially even with the risk of domestic violence, with undermining breastfeeding. And one of the broader issues that fathers in this situation describe is the tremendous feeling of isolation they experience after the birth of a baby. There's a recent book that Richard Schwartz and Jackie Olds wrote about the fact that fathers, men in general, have much smaller social networks, feel very isolated. And I think there's another issue here that speaks to your comment about this uh, deadbeat dad who really wasn't involved mm. and, and had no interest. I think what we need to do is understand those men in a lot more depth because it's possible, and I would argue even likely, that there's some real history of trauma in that man's early life 
that he's never dealt with, and it probably makes him terrified of engaging with a child for fear of, uh, I mean, that's certainly one hypothesis that deserves further study. I think Charles is working on this with many of the men he's working with. I wouldn't doubt that, so I will give you that, but I had to speak up on behalf of the women that are listening to this conversation. Charles, this is right at the heart of what you're working with, this postpartum depression that I knew nothing about. And I want to say, as you begin to speak, that it does make a difference if insurance companies will reimburse for a women who suffer from that. But if it's not acknowledged, fathers are not cannot be reimbursed for this. And so we have something of a silent problem going on. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. One thing that we realize when you look at um, fee schedules, um, insurance reimbursements, as you say, there are reimbursement rates for pregnant mothers, but there are no reimbursement rates to support fathers. And I would say, I told my wife all, the, wife all the time, I said, honey, you were physically pregnant, but I was mentally pregnant. I went through a transition um, into fatherhood when I had my son, and I had fathers up there, but I did not know that I was going to experience a series of emotions, physiological and physical changes. At that particular moment, I said, Charles, you have to do something about it, because I didn't have anyone that I can go to that specifically focused on the symptoms that I was experiencing. So as of recently, we created a term called pre-father care, prenatal care for fathers, and we actually created a book. And there were fathers who contributed to writing this book where they talked about the symptoms that they've experienced becoming fathers, right? Particularly in that first trimester, what we find out in research, and research, could, I mean, some of the research regarding this topic is a little bit dated, but what we find is that in that first trimester, there's a lot of relationships that seem to break apart because there's some stress on both ends. The mother is going through changes and that father is going through changes as well. So when we think about postpartum depression for fathers, it's also important that we think about when that father is getting ready to enter fatherhood, what is he experiencing? Is there anxiety? Is there fear? What type of physical changes is he experiencing? What type of physiological changes is he, is he experiencing? And follow that father throughout the full duration of their pregnancy because he's pregnant too, not physically, but mentally. One quick thing I want to talk about when we were at Brigham and Women, which where my where my child was born, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one common um, excuse for why we don't engage fathers that we hear a lot across the country is that we don't have time. You know, mm-hmm. practitioners say we don't have time. Um, there's a limitation on time. When I was at Brigham and Women Hospital, I was in the room with my with my wife. And she had the ball, and she was eating the ice, and she was going through her changes, and I had to take a break, you know, because it was very stressful. Mm-hmm. I would walk around the floor just to hear this lady say, I know. I would say, man, I can't believe that she said, I know. Mm-hmm. She didn't know anything about me, but she validated me. And I would walk around that floor in front of her just to hear her say, I know. Mm-hmm. I think we had to think about small things that we can do um, to support fathers as they're transitioning into fatherhood, because we can do a lot. That validation, that smile understanding me but not knowing me really meant a lot for me and I wanted to hear that more and more and I don't think that fathers who are entering fatherhood is getting that enough. Just acknowledging it's a different role and your whole life is changing uh, Dr. Levy. Talk about postpartum depression as you have dealt with it uh, through your organization the Fatherhood Project. Yeah well we're we're actually in the process of partnering with a pediatric group to do a pilot study to ask fathers we haven't decided yet exactly when but probably at four months and either eight or ten months, whether or not they're depressed, to essentially evaluate them, have a conversation with them, because there's very little known about postpartum depression in in men. We know some things, but not as exact as, as we would like. We're going to do some research on that. We know it exists. And we hope to collaborate with uh, Charles and uh, Dr. Yagman as well. But I want to throw one more variable in. We did original research in uh, obstetrics at Mass General Hospital. And on this father survey, which the fathers loved, by the way, when they were sitting in the waiting room, we would give them iPads on which we had created a survey. 
They loved the attention. They thanked us for it. We have over 900 responses, which we think is the largest uh, study in the United States. And fully 25% of the men endorsed the two questions about depression mm. symptoms that we asked them. So so it's real. It's Well, mm. that's, that's mm. in prenatal care. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering to what degree some of those same men mm -hmm. are depressed or more depressed postpartum. So I'm not sure which group we're dealing with there exactly. All right, Dr. Yagman. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> one other comment. Um, number one, there's a marvelous study years ago for internal medicine physicians pointing out that fathers commonly present with all these physical symptoms during pregnancy, yeah. and the internists were doing all of these expensive studies yeah. to no avail. And the recommendation was ask the fathers if their wives were pregnant because fathers present wow. with physical mm -hmm. symptoms during pregnancy and providing that emotional support is a lot more cost effective than just doing a bunch of expensive tests. I also want to just mention that without violating the American Academy of Pediatrics embargo, we're about to publish a policy statement that encourages all pediatricians to screen all fathers for postpartum depression in the Excellent. first six months of life. And we've gotten now, thanks to uh, some support from Ray, for the Postpartum Depression Commission in Massachusetts and McPap for Moms to begin to create a resource of uh, perinatal providers who can treat fathers. Wow. News here. Thank you very much. Now, let me talk about something else. This is, again, a little bit depressing, but I think it's important in this discussion, and that is this the editorial on uh, David Brooks, uh, Why Fathers uh, Leave Their Children. And, uh, Charles, you've talked about it. I guess all of you have, in the, and have mentioned it in the study, and the impact of the kid. And let me begin with this. This is a this is an, a clip from Oprah's life class in 2013. This was Ayanla Van Sant, and she's talking to a whole room full of men who grew up without their fathers. And this whole episode was about fatherless sons. This is one man talking about the impact on him. In spite of your father's absence, what would you want him to know about how he broke your heart? I'd want him to know that the pain that he made me feel by choosing to not be there, there's no other pain like it. So just address that just uh, briefly, if you would, Dr. Yagman, and, and also, um, well, I want all of you just to, just to weigh in on that. Because if you don't ad deal with all these things as we're talking about, either prenatally or certainly acknowledge there's a postpartum depression, or just acknowledge that you exist and have a different role, as Charles Daniels has said, then you end up here, where fathers just leave, and we don't know why, and this is the result. You know, that's a very depressing clip, and I, I think <laughs> My notion is that, you know, we've got to never give up. We've got to try to reach out as a pediatrician. I'm constantly trying to promote father engagement. And uh, as I think uh, um, you hear in his voice the tragedy of a uh, situation where that longing just persists throughout lifetime. And so I think uh, at whatever the age of the child or young adult, to try to kind of uh, re-engage with the father and try to create some kind of reconciliation, even if it does mean, as I uh, suggested earlier, kind of getting the father to share the story of perhaps his uh, previous history of trauma, which may be a major impediment to his engagement with his kids. Charles Daniels. Yeah, uh, the word deadbeat hurts me, and I would like to exchange that word and use dead hurt. 
Okay. When I think about uh, my father, he would definitely been looked at or viewed as a deadbeat because he wasn't actively, actively in my life. As a matter of fact, I've called him deadbeat several times until I understood why he wasn't in my life. And my father was married to another woman, his wife. My mother was the outside child, and I was a result of a marital affair. My father was experiencing a significant amount of shame and depression that he was unable to overcome by himself because he didn't have anyone supporting him with doing that. Many of the men who are absent that we work with and make the choice to stay absent have suffered from a significant amount of trauma, and they can't love themselves enough to want to be engaged in someone's life that they could hurt the same. Hmm. So when I think about that, that in terms of the what, what a father is feeling and, and the barriers and that term, um, is I don't think that a father could lay eyes on his child for the first time and truly imagine living a life without him. There has to be something um, that has harmed him or hurt him for him to be absent in his child's life. Just remember holding my son for the first time. There was a love there. There was a care there. And I vowed that I would never leave. But I can also end up becoming an absent dad and proceed as a deadbeat if I am harmed to the extent that I cannot be engaged in his life. So that would be my take on that. I think all men care. Sometimes they, they, are, just, they are just so fractured that they can't be engaged. Oh, thank you very much. Dr. Levy? Well, I used to teach at the Concord uh, Prison, um, a fatherhood class, and I would get 15 men, and I would always ask, um, uh, ask them to tell the story of their relationship with their fathers. Well, unfortunately, it didn't take all that long because 13 of the 15 never knew, that, knew their father. Uh, one of the poignant stories the men told was that when he was 16 and on the streets, his father, who he recognized, walked up to him to sell him drugs, and the father didn't know that he was trying to sell drugs to his to his son, but um, these guys, a lot a lot of these men, uh, they, they do feel traumatized and they feel enraged by the the having a father who was not involved with them, and they they're not aware of it. I used to try to help them with that. It, it's a long haul. Yeah. It's it's not easy, um, but um, yes. You know, one man said, uh, and this is what David Brooks said on Friday, uh, one man said, well, I have six children by six different women, and mm. none of them want me around mm. uh, my, my, my kids. And he said, I don't care. I'll just make six more when I get out of here. So by this time, he, he was cold. Uh, yeah. But that's an, that's unusual. That's part of the trauma, though. But that, yes, yes, that's part of the trauma, mm -hmm. and, and that's unusual. On the brighter side, I do want to say... Um, just because, uh, because I do think there's a revolution occurring, that Americans now believe fathers are critically important. Seventy percent of Americans say that it's equally important for fathers to bond with their kids as it is for mothers to bond with their kids. So I think the culture's changing. I think this might help in, to some degree with some of the fathers who haven't found a way to be involved if it's valued more. Uh, if they can, they can uh, feel good because they are, uh, they, they've changed their definition of masculinity from making children to 
fathering their children. Well, you made my transition for me. I was not going to allow, allow us to leave on that on that sad note because I am certainly the child of a father and he would be considered in the old days really and he was all in. I mean, I, we did everything. We did in fact the biggest fight my mother explained to me later in adulthood that they had is cuz she told him don't take them to do X Y. I would like to do it and he forgot and did it and she was so mad because he was so present in our lives. We did everything with him. He was, you know, he was the guy. And I, when I say everything, I mean, he did everything. He shopped for all of our underwear. He, you know, he took us. So we were very fortunate to have him in our lives. And we, it was only when my sister and I were, became adults that we realized that other people didn't have this rich experience. And so that is why, Dr. Yogman, let me just say that it was very hard for her to be married to somebody who did not embrace the role in the same way. But what we know based on what Dr. Levy has just said, is that it's changing. And I want to talk about this millennial difference, this generational difference where we're seeing young fathers, for the most part, don't think in those old terms that we started the program with in those uh, sort of pop culture stereotypical ways. They're embracing the role differently. Charles Daniels, I'm going to have you start. What are you seeing? Um, are you seeing some of that? Yes, I think this day and age we're making fatherhood beautiful. <laughs> you're making fatherhood great. And, and the reason the reason why I say that is that men are starting to take pride. I, I think they're taking pride of what their role as a father should be and also creating what that role should entail. I think in the past we have um, relied on so much the main tenets of what our ancestors or um, people in our family told us what we need to be as a man. right? But I think in this day and age, we are understanding that we have to create what we want to be for that child. So if I want to be masculine, I can be masculine as a father. If I want to be feminine, I can be feminine as a father. If I want to take my child to a park and go dancing with them, I can do that. right? Whatever I want to do as a father, I am going to shape that and separate society's view of what I should be from that. So many men are creating and restructuring their identity of what their roles should entail. Um, for example, one of our fathers actually got manicures and pedicures with his daughter. I love it. Right? I mean, so so, when you, like so you would dad. think yeah. about that, right? Or or go out and take them and say he get, she gets her nails done. They go shopping and they have like a wonderful time. I think innovative ways and in thinking about fatherhood is what we are seeing now, right? right. Even their own little bags, their fashionable bags to wear that keep their baby stuff in it, right? I feel that we are really <laughs> making fatherhood great this day and age. I love it. That's uh, That was my dad. Dr. Yogman, you can weigh in on this, please. Well, I, I think mm. Charles said it for all of us. Uh, <laughs> I think that to the degree that we kind of get rid of the stereotypes and give fathers the freedom, and I think uh, um, rather than labeling a new stereotype, I think it really is enabling fathers to find their own way but emphasizing the fact that um, encouraging empathy, encouraging their attention to the uh, social-emotional life of their children, um, that's, I think, um, something that in, in general, the, the stereotype notion of masculinity didn't allow fathers to pay attention to those kinds of feelings and social-emotional issues that I think really are part and parcel of any kind of new diverse fathering. And the millennials, I think, are on top of that. All right. So, Dr. Levy, you get uh, last words. <laughs> well, I, I agree. Um, I agree with Charles. I agree with um, Michael. Um, the millennials, they have a different idea. You know, we have to remember they grew up uh, uh, with uh, girls and women who were always thinking about careers and always had ambitions because of the feminist movement. The girls grow up, many of them, maybe most of them now, um, 
being able to express their skills, their abilities in the work world, uh, not just uh, at home, and that's what they expect. And, you know, the boys, that opens up a new world for the boys if they want it. So they also can uh, fulfill some of the, some of the role that uh, women uh, have have been in uh, in the past, and men are now three times more involved with their kids than they were in 1965. One of the issues, however, is that only 39 percent of the men say they feel like a good father. Mm -hmm. So they need skills. They need help developing skills. They need to know how to read the emotions of of their kids. They need to understand pacing. Uh, uh, being with their kids. But one piece of research that's very encouraging, Catherine Dulock at uh, Harvard Medical School uh, did bench research with mice. And um, um, what, she, what she came up with is that the exact same neural circuits uh, necessary for parenting are present in male mice that are present in female mice. That means that if, if those circuits are used they will be active uh, uh, in in the males just as they are in the females, and her conclusion is dads can do it. So we're seeing a, a, a we're in the middle of a revolution, as I said. Oh well, I thank you all, and and in honor of my father, who I miss every day, I wish you a happy Father's Day. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you, you so much, much Kelly. Terrific conversation. Oh, thanks. Dr. Ray Levy is the founder and executive director of the Fatherhood Project. Dr. Michael Yagman is a pediatrician and assistant clinical professor of pediatrics at Harvard Medical School. And Charles Daniels is the CEO and founder of Fathers Uplift. You can learn more about the Fatherhood Project at thefatherhoodproject.org. Learn more about Fathers Uplift at fathersuplift.org. Coming up, what exactly is Juneteenth? And why should all Americans observe this day celebrating emancipation, why Bostonians celebrate history, culture, and meaning in local commemorations of this historic event. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. <laughs>